Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Acts chapter 9. We are diving back into the book of Acts. We're going verse by verse through the book of Acts so we can learn from the first church some lessons that we can apply to our church so that way we can be the church that God always intended to be. Have you guys enjoyed the study in the book of Acts so far? We're 31 sermons in and we're about halfway done. Come on. That's amazing. And we're just getting back to the basics. We're getting back to the Bible because sometimes we can make church about things that God never intended it to be. And so we want to go back to the Bible, see what the Bible says that a church should be. And then we want to be that church. And speaking of the Bible, if you have your Bibles, could you go ahead and just hold your Bible up? Let me see them. Let me see them Bibles. I like big Bibles and I cannot lie, right? Anybody else hold up your Bible? Hold it up, hold it up, right? And if you didn't bring your Bible, you can hold up the fake Bible on your phone. Okay, just go ahead and hold that up too. Okay, all right. This is God's word. It is true. It is trustworthy. God's word tells me who he is, what he does, and what he wants to do in my life. Do you believe in the authority and the teachings of the Bible? At Redemption, we do. The way we would say it is like the old pastors would say, if it's in God's word, I believe it, that settles it right? That's how we take it because this is not an old book. This is an eternal book. It is timeless. Therefore, it is always timely and it is just as relevant for us today as it was for them 2,000 years ago. And, and at Redemption, unapologetically, you need to know that we believe and we teach in the, the Bible. And in order for us to get everything out of the book of Acts that we, we need, we have to to take this same mindset because Acts is not a story of what God did. It's a story of what God does. It's not just what God did 2,000 years ago, but it's what God wants to do right here, downtown Beaumont, Southeast Texas, 601 Park Street, because we are the church. This is a history book. It is a theology book, but even more so, it is a legacy book. It is the legacy of the local church passed down generation to generation until it has reached us, and then it's our job to pass this on to the next generation because we wholeheartedly believe that if God did it then, then God can do it now. That's how I put it in your notes. If God did it then, then God can do it now. Let me give you a catch up on Acts because you need to understand and apply this to your thinking when it comes to the Bible. So question, in the book of Acts, we have seen people be saved. Does God want to see people saved today? Answer is We've seen people be baptized. Does God desire to see people be baptized? Amen? We've seen the church pray. Does God want the church to pray? That's why we have First Wednesdays. Every first Wednesday of the month, we pray together as a church. We have, seen, we have seen the church send out missionaries and raise up leaders and plant and grow and reach people with the message of life change through does God still want us to preach the message of life change through? Amen. Because if God did it then, then God can do it now. And you have to understand this to understand what we're going to talk about today, because the title of today's message is, does God still heal people today? If you answered yes to any of the above, then logically, you also must say that healing is still something 
that God does now. Because if God saved then, and he saves now, then he would heal then, and he would heal now. Why? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God doesn't change. Our times, our circumstances, our situations, culture may change, but scripture never does. And so if God healed then, then God can heal now. And if God did it then, then God can do it now. And so what I want you to do today is I want to open your heart. I want you to open your mind. I want you to open your Bibles and go and read what God's word says so we can apply it to our life, so we can be the church that God intended for our church to be. This is a very important lesson for us because when you look around the world that we live in, people are hurting People are suffering. People, are, people are, are sick. This message has touched all of us. I mean, we all know somebody who is suffering. Right now, the, the top five New Year's resolutions all have to do with health in some way. Because it's a major concern for people. In America, we spend $4.5 trillion a year on healthcare and medicine. Why? Because... Because people are sick and they're they are suffering. We all know somebody who has been affected by cancer, by chronic illness, by mental illness, through death. There's not a person in this room who has not lost someone they loved. And so this affects, this affects all of us. And I believe that, that people are, are looking for healing. I, I see that word trending all the time when I'm scrolling through social media that, oh, I'm healing and I'm healing and I'm in a journey. I'm in a process. I'm healing, I'm healing. And most of the time, we're looking for healing outside of God's power. Right now in Gen Z, for those of you who are uh, high school or in college, or for those of you who are parents who have high schoolers or college kids, you need to know that Gen Z right now is obsessed with health. And for many of them, here's where they're turning to, to healing, to magic crystals, to the occult, to Wicca. The fastest growing religion in America right now is Wicca and witchcraft. Because why? They are looking for healing in all the wrong places. And what I want to show you today is that we serve a God who heals. We serve a God who does miracles. We serve a God who loves and listens and cares and answers prayers. And that we don't have to go outside of the Bible to get the things that God wants to give. Because we serve a God who heals. And so if you have your Bible, open up with me. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9, starting verse 36. I am going to tell you a story that is so unbelievable, you got to believe in the Bible to believe it. I'm going to tell you a story about two people. One name's Aeneas, and another's named Dorcas. And we're going to see both of them be healed. And so if you have your Bibles, open up with me. But before you do, while you're finding your place, a little funny story not related to my sermon. I have two beautiful girls, and they're both named out of the Bible. And if you're looking for a good biblical name, I recommend Dorcas. Um, <laughs> No, true story, my daughter Esther, she was, she was three whenever Ashley was pregnant, and I convinced her that we were going to name her little sister Dorcas. And she was like, you can't name my sissy Dorcas. You can't name her Dorcas, right? And so it, I did not name her Dorcas, even though it's biblical. Uh, we named her Ruth, and so there we go. All right, so I expect um, a Dorcas coming soon. All right, anyway, uh, you got your Bible. Let's read the Bible. And, uh, and, and we'll see what God's word says. Now, as Peter 
Peter is the leader of the apostles. He's the pastor of the first church. And he went there among them all. He came down also to the saints in Lydda. For those of you who are new and you're just catching up, great persecution spread across Jerusalem. They were being arrested, thrown in prison, beaten. And then another man named Stephen, he was actually murdered because of the persecution in the early church. And so the church spread because it was no longer safe in Jerusalem. So they moved all to the surrounding regions. They were in hiding and fear for their life. And here's what happens. These people, they go to a region outside of Jerusalem, Judea called Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for 18 years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents in Lydda and Sharon, they saw him and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated as Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts and charity. In those days, she became ill and she died. And when they washed her, they laid her in the upper room. So she's been dead for maybe a few days. They have washed her. They've laid her in the upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose up and he uh, went with them. When he arrived, they took him to the upper room and all the widows stood beside him, weeping, showing tunics and the garments that Dorcas made while she was there. I want you to emotionally connect with this. She dies. They love her. She's known for charity and good works. Their hearts are gripped and broken. They're weeping. And when Peter shows up, they're all show, look what Dorcas made us. Look how amazing, look at this. I'm treasuring this. Can you, have you been there before? Have you lost a loved one? Been to a wake, been to a funeral? That's where they're at. And Peter steps in and he calls them all outside and he knelt down and prayed. And turning, the Bible, turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. I told you, it's so unbelievable, you gotta believe the Bible to believe it. She opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and he raised her up. Then calling upon the saints and widows, he presented her alive and it became known all throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now, in a moment, I'm gonna teach you a theology of, of healing. But before I do that, I have to teach you a theology of suffering. Because here's what happens. Anytime somebody's sick, anytime somebody dies, anytime there's a disease, what's the first thing? God, why? Why me? Why now? Why them? Why this? God, why? Anybody pray that prayer? Anybody ever think about that? Say that. God, why do bad things happen in this world? Right? God, why? And we ask that question, and it's important for us to have a, a theology of, of why it does, a, suf a suffering. Because we, we, we don't blame God for the problems that we are in. Because we got to have a full view of the scriptures. What does the Bible teach? When God created the heavens and the earth and everything that's in it, God said it is good. good. Did God create evil? No. God created, and he said it was good. The only thing that was not good was man. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And all the men said, amen, amen. hallelujah, right? 
So he made a helper fit for him, Eve, brought them together. We were created to be in relationship with God above us and with others beside us. God, God created us for relationship. And they would walk with God in the cool of the evening in the garden. There was no sickness. The word garden of Eden literally means the garden of delights, the garden of joy, the garden of pleasure. That's what Eden, Eden means. So God created it and he said it was good. There was no death. There was no disease. There was no famine. There was no sickness. There was no murder. Perfect. And then you look around the world today, not perfect, right? Turn on the TV, turn on the news. People are like, we're getting better, are we? No. Wars, little girls being trafficked, sickness running rampant, disease. The world is not getting better. The world is getting darker because it's broken. Well, where did it come from? It came from sin. God is not the author of evil. Adam and Eve, they sinned, they fell, they rebelled. They separated themselves from God. And due to that separation, it brought a spiritual death that is manifested now into a physical death. Death is reigning in our culture and in our society. It has touched every single one of us, but it was not originally God's intention, nor was it God's design. What was God's design? He said it was good. And now we live in a broken and a fallen world world. But God did not see it fit to leave us in the mess that we made, that God sent his son Jesus to get up off of his throne, to enter into this world, fully God, fully man, to live the life we never could live, to die the death in our place, the death because of our sins. The wages of sin is death. And because Jesus had no sin, death could not contain him. And three days later, the stone was rolled away and Jesus resurrected alive and victorious conquering Satan's sin, death, hell, and the grave. And then he passes on to us the eternal gift of everlasting life. We see creation fall, but ultimately we see God's plan for redemption, that we would be forgiven, that we had a right relationship with God, that it would be restored, that we would be saved and we would be healed. And what does Jesus do? He, he brings heaven to earth. God's intended design, he brings it to earth because Jesus' first words out of his mouth in the gospels was repent and believe why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. Heaven is here and now. And what did Jesus do throughout his ministry? He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cast out demons. What is he doing? He is revealing heaven on earth. And this is what heaven looks like. And our prayers is to see what? Lord, bring heaven to earth, on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is, Jesus says, now. But we look around, we also recognize it's not yet. It's only a glimpse of what heaven is going to look like. Theological term, they talk about the now and the not yet, the already and the not yet. Jesus' kingdom is now. Like you don't have to wait until you die to have a relationship with Jesus. You can have one now. But at the same time, it's not in the fullness that it will be when we see him face to face. It's also not yet. And so the kingdom is now, the kingdom is not yet because there's a story that is still being written and that is when Jesus Christ returns 
And when he returns, he will right every wrong. At the second coming, he will recreate the heavens and the earth, and we will live with him in the garden forever, just like the book of Revelation says, that every tear will be wiped away, and every disease will be cured, and death will be no more, and the new life we live with him will be forever. That's the fullness of the story. And there are moments when the not yet is experienced right now. And we call those things miracles. So a lot of people, they want to blame God. God, God, why, can I ask you, theologically speaking, did God create suffering, evil, pain, hardship? Did God create that? Answer is no. God, did God create cancer? Did God create AIDS? Did God create human trafficking? Did God create earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, famine? Did God create COVID? It was made in a lab somewhere. <laughs> Don't, just do your own research. And so we can't blame God for our problems. We have to go to God because he is the solution. Listen, here's, here's what I want you to know. The world has fallen, but God is faithful. The Bible says that, that, that even in the evil, God brings about good. What you meant for evil, God has turned around for his good. That God is not the author of suffering. He is not the source of suffering, but yet he is sovereign over the suffering. He doesn't cause it, but he will use it as a way for him to get glory and you to tell the story that there is a loving God who is powerful and mighty and wonderful and he can and will and wants to heal and to save and to bring breakthrough in people's lives. There is a God who cares. Even in our brokenness, God can bring about something beautiful. And that's the message of the scriptures. That our world has fallen, but our God is faithful. And so I want you to hold on to that. Theology of suffering, because what I'm gonna teach you now is a theology of, of healing. The question we have to wrestle with is, does God heal Today, not then, not, not back when, but does God heal today? Is it possible for somebody to experience healing now? I would say the answer is yes, that God still heals today. Let me give you five reasons for us to understand it. The first thing is a prerequisite of healing that, that comes from God. How does the story start? Aeneas is paralyzed. Dorcas is dead. Those are problems, right? Like, that's a problem. But what we have to understand, and we don't like hearing this because especially as, as, as Christians today, we don't like problems. We, we, want, we want just everything to be perfect, right? We oftentimes pray, oh God, bring me around the valley of the shadow of the death. No, sometimes I'm gonna bring you through it. Right, we don't like problems, but here's what you got to understand. Every problem is the beginning of a miracle. Every, problem, every miracle started with a problem. 
There, there, was a, there was a problem, and then God stepped in, and he brought about the difference in that situation. Right now, you may be in a circumstance, whether it's relational, financial, emotional, physical. You say, this is a problem, but can I tell you that we serve a God who does miracles, and so don't focus on the problem. Focus on the power of a God who can enter into that situation with you and bring healing into your life. Every miracle star of the problem, your inconvenience is the key ingredient. God wants to do a miracle in your life. Are you going through a problem? That could be the beginning of God doing something amazing. When you trust, believe, and hold on to that. And I know it right now, some of you are thinking, all right, pastor, I am ready. I am ready to pray for healing right now in the name of Jesus. I believe it. Hallelujah. Open up these altars, Jesus. I'm running to the throne of God and we're going to pray for you. And you're just so excited because you're already there. You're like, I, I came to church ready. I don't need you to prime the pump. I came with expectations that God's going to move in this place. Glory. Hallelujah. Some of you, that's where you're at. Amen. And others of you, you're not convinced. You're like, healing, right? Really? I know somebody, they prayed and God didn't answer their prayer. I know somebody, they, they prayed and, and, you know, like my, my aunt so-and-so, they prayed and you know what? They still died. And so I just don't know if God heals today. Can I just encourage you? That we don't judge God based upon our experiences. We judge our experiences based upon the word of God. That, that just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean that it won't happen or that it will happen. And so don't allow your experiences to judge the scriptures, but allow the scriptures to judge your experiences. And according to the scriptures, we serve a God who can, does, and will heal. The reason why many of us struggle with this is because we have been given an incomplete theology around healing because most of us the teachings we hear on healing are very very one-dimensional so I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal tradition and we prayed for healing all the time and we say hey come up front we want to pray for you if you're sick we're going to pray for you and heal you and if a person doesn't get healed then well it's not our fault you just didn't have enough faith and so we would just try harder I need more faith I need more faith I need more faith and so we were, that's what we were taught. We were taught healing, and we, we prayed for people to be, be healed. And we always expected it now, total instantaneously deliverance now. Others of you, you grew up in a cessationist, Baptist, maybe a reformed traditionalist camp, and you were always taught that healing is later. You're like, oh, you're sick? Just wait until you die, and then God's going to heal you. You laugh because it's true, right? How many of you were raised instantaneous automatic healing right now? How many of you were raised later? But there's an in-between that we haven't been taught. There's so much more to the Bible than just one simple answer. Because I've seen that God heals in a variety of ways. I'm going to share with you six. One, divine healing. Divine miracles. I've seen it. This is what we see in the text. Tabitha, rise. You know that. You've experienced that. Some of you, it's Aeneas. Rise. Pick up your mat. Boom. 
instantaneous, heaven on earth right now, touch of God. But that's not everybody's story. Another way that God heals is he could heal through common grace. Common grace is a theological term, which means God's wisdom woven in the fabric of the universe. So let me give you a few examples. Art, it's beauty. It's available for believers and unbelievers alike. Music, it's common grace. What about food? Right now we are fasting. Praise God for common grace, right? It's a common grace. It's available for anybody. Medicine is a common grace. So some of us, we were brought up in a tradition that says medicine is bad. You just need to trust God. Well, I remember Jesus is the great physician, so I think he's okay with it. In fact, Luke, that wrote this book, he was a medical doctor. Medicine is a common grace given by God. Throughout the Old Testament, there are stories of God giving certain remedies medicine for people's ailing bodies. He didn't heal them supernaturally. He healed them through medical intervention. So in the book of Isaiah, God tells the prophet to put figs on his body because it will bring healing to the, to, the, to the wound. There's something known as the balm of Gilead. It was an ointment that they would put on their bodies and it would bring, bring healing. One of the reasons that the bubonic plague stopped spreading is because somebody read Leviticus 19 where it says, hey, after you touch dead people, wash your hands. Because <laughs> they were handling all these, these dead bodies and they were literally passing the disease onto the next person because they would touch a dead body and then they would put them down and they'd bring somebody else into the same room, touch the dead body again. And then somebody was like, hey, in the Bible, it says that they would take the dead bodies and they would put them outside of the camp. Then they would wash their hands until they were clean and then they would go back in and they would treat the next person. Maybe we should try that. All of a sudden, boom, plague's gone. Which goes to show if you give science enough time, eventually it'll catch up with the Bible. Here's what Paul tells young Timothy. He says, hey, drink some wine. It's good for your stomach for the sake of your frequent ailments. Because there's medicinal properties in wine. Now, not too much wine. Some of you are like, praise God, I've been treating myself real good, right? (laughs) Not that much wine, right? And not box wine either. That stuff is of the devil. But, but there's a common grace that God gives us through medicine. Another one is demonic deliverance. That sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's spiritual. You say, really? Can, can demons make a person sick? Well, remember, whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. And if God can make a person well, then the devil can make a person sick. Remember, he comes to still kill and destroy. And so sometimes there is a demonic spiritual war, an attack on a person that causes them to be sick. An example would be Jesus and Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever, and Jesus shows up. He doesn't cure the disease. He casts out the demon. And some of you are thinking, that's what's wrong with my mother-in-law now. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go home after lunch to try to cast out the demon, right? Another example would be the epileptic boy. They, they bring to, to Jesus in Matthew 17. He has epilepsy, and Jesus rebukes the demon, came out of him, and said the boy was healed. He didn't cure the disease. He cast out the demon. Not every time, 
But if we want to be biblically accurate, then we must also say that sometimes a sickness can actually be spiritual. Another example would be the human body. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you know that God created the body to heal itself? There are some diseases, some situations, where if you take care of your body, your body's going to take care of you. Fever heals a virus. It's your body getting rid of it. There's certain, um, there, there's, there's certain gut microbes that when you eat right, it'll reduce inflammation in your body because your body wants to be well. It's a gift that God gave you. And if you take care of it, it's going to take care of you. Right now, heart disease is one of the number one deaths, cause of death in America. Do you know what the best remedy for heart disease is? Diet and exercise. Because if you take care of your body, your body's going to take care of, of you. There's, there's natural means, and it's not always supernatural. Sometimes it's just really natural and practical that we just take care of ourselves. And the body can heal itself. And if that don't happen, then what happens when I don't get a divine miracle? I don't get a demonic deliverance? I don't get a, 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 a natural heal? What happens when these things don't happen? Well, maybe you get to experience what Paul experienced, where he prayed three times that the thorn might be removed from my flesh. And God responded by saying, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. Wow. That's an inner healing. That the disease no longer defines me. That the identity no longer comes from what happened, but what God is producing on the inside of me. And even if God doesn't heal me miraculously, he is doing an inner healing on the inside spiritually. And his power is perfected in my weakness. He is giving me the strength to endure and persevere because I can help more people today than I would have been able to do without it. An example would be a woman in our church. She's gone through multiple rounds of chemo. And God, God brought her through that whole process. And, and medically, she, she was here. She's in remission. But how many of you know that trauma is not stored in the body? It's, it's stored in your soul. Like if you, think about it. Like if you, say, get in a wreck and you have to, you break your bones and then you have to learn how to rewalk and you're on a wheelchair and a walker and you're out of work for eight months. As a man, do you know what it does to you? Crushes the soul of a man to not be able to work or provide for his family, to hug his kids, to be intimate with his wife, crushes that. That is not a physical trauma. That is an emotional trauma. And many people live with that. Abuse, suffering from abuse. There's the abuse that it does to the body but there's the abuse that it does to the mind and the soul of that person, and they carry that with them for life. So she, every year, she has to go in and get a screening, and she always comes and she always gets prayer because when she goes into that screening, it's almost as if like she relives the diagnosis every single year because of the fear she carries. That's very real. But what does God want to do with that? He wants to heal your soul. There's an inner healing that's available. And some of you, you walk around with trauma. You're walking around with bitterness and anger, resentment towards God. And he wants to set you free from that. So you can have a healing inside of your soul. 
His grace is sufficient for you in your weakness, for his power is then made perfect. That's a healing. And so what we have is, starting next week, we have an inner healing class we call Freedom. And if you are experiencing this and you're like, well, that's me right there, sign up. We'd love to be able to walk and journey with you through that, which leads to the, to the sixth. And I know you're not going to like to hear this, but another way that God heals is through death. If you're not a Christian, can I just say this life is as close to heaven as you will ever be, and after death, hell awaits But if you are a Christian, this life is as close to hell as you will ever be. And heaven awaits you. Here's what what Paul says. Here's what Paul says. To live is Christ. To die is gain. If Jesus heals me now, I get Jesus. And I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And if I get my healing now, praise God, glory to God, because I'm going to live for Jesus. And if it don't come now, I'm going to get it then. And I'm going to be with Jesus. And I'm going to worship Jesus. Either way, I still get Jesus. Because to live is Christ. To die is gain. The question for us is not, will God heal, but when? I wholeheartedly, truly believe 100% without a shadow of a doubt, and I will debate you till I am blue in the face, but I will tell you it is God's will to heal. It's God's will. People say, oh, I don't know if it's God's will to heal. And the theologians and people, they like to argue and to debate about whether or not God will heal or could heal or wants to heal. Listen, I ain't here to debate whether or not will God heal. I'm just here to pray for people and I'm tired of debating and I just want to start praying because I believe that God does, will, can, and wants to heal. The question is not will. The question is when. And sometimes... The healing is now. And sometimes the healing is a journey. It's a progress. And sometimes healing is later. But will he heal? Yes. Because we serve a God who heals. That's, that's the prerequisite, understanding theologically, biblically, God heals. Yes, he does. Which gave Peter the faith to pray for healing. Which leads us to the second point. Number two, the person whom God heals. Look back at the text. Who, who did God heal? Two, two people, Aeneas and Dorcas, later known as Tabitha. Aeneas is a Gentile. It's a Greek name. So he would be not Jewish, far far from God. They're in the the Greek Roman area. Peter, which we're going to learn more about next week. This is a setting, the stage for what God's going to do in Peter's life next week. Make sure you come back. But Peter sees him and good old Peter, back growing up, Aeneas would not be allowed in their church. He was a Gentile. He was not Jewish. And he was paralyzed, which means he was ceremonially unclean. And so he would not be allowed to go to church. And they could not pray for him because he was not Jewish. 
And then we see Tabitha, which also named Dorcas. So I told you earlier, through the persecution she spread. So most likely Jewish, Tabitha is her Jewish name because she's Jewish, but she's living in a Gentile region. And so she changed her name to Dorcas to be able to avoid the persecution. But when he comes in, he says Tabitha. What was Tabitha known for? Her charity and good works. What was Aeneas known for? Being a beggar. Who in the story gets healed? Because healing doesn't depend on who you are, but who he is. God will heal the unbeliever just as readily as he will heal the believer. That you are not healed because you're a good person and because of your good works or because of what you do or, or because of how many things that you have done in the church and you're not healed because you are not even stepping foot in the doors of a church. It doesn't matter on who you are or what you do. It matters on who he is and what he has done because there's some people where you get bitter and frustrated at God. You're like, God, look at all the things that I do for you. I deserve this. Can I just remind you that we don't deserve anything, that everything we have is a gift and it's grace and it's his goodness. And so if God bestows it upon you, praise God. But even if he don't, you're gonna bless him anyway. He doesn't heal us based upon who we are. Think about, this is so important because some of you, you're like, I'm not Tabitha. I'm Aeneas. I'm far from God. I don't contribute anything. God's never gonna heal me because I'm not good like them. I'm not holy like them. I'm not spiritual like them. I don't read my Bible. I don't pray. I don't go to church. This is my first time ever since I was a teenager. I haven't even walked step foot in the door of the church, but I am hurting and maybe sure God will heal them, but he ain't gonna heal me because I'm unworthy. I am not deserving. I just, I can't. And so I'm gonna suffer in silence because I just don't feel like I'm good enough. What I would say to you is the same thing Peter said, Aeneas, rise up. Because it doesn't depend on you. Think about it. Are we saved by God's grace? Yes. And so are we healed by God's grace? Can you earn your salvation? Can you earn your healing? No. We are saved by grace through what? We are healed by God's grace through faith. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on him. Third thing, the power of God that heals. Question, who heals Ananias and Tabitha? Who heals them? It's not Peter. What does Peter say? Look at the Bible. Look at the Bible. Look at the Bible. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Who heals? Jesus. Let's go back to the idea of salvation. Who saves? Can you, can you save anybody? No. And that's a word for some of you single ladies. If you're like, he's cute, I can save him. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. You're like, sis, get off the cross, let Jesus back on. No. (laughs) If he don't love Jesus, he ain't loving you, all right? 
Can you save anyone? The answer is? No. Can you heal anyone? No. Who heals? Jesus. Jesus Christ heals you. Listen, it's God's job to heal. It's my job to pray. God's responsible for the outcome. I'm just responsible for my obedience. Right? Jesus tells me to pray and that he will heal. My job is to pray. I'm going to do my job and trust and believe that God's going to do his job because God is the one who heals. I'm just the help. I am the middleman between heaven and earth right here trying to pray for you. It's not my job to heal you. It's my job to pray for you, and I'm going to leave the results up to him. That's his job. I don't get paid enough to be able to try to figure out all the why. I just know that I'm called to pray in the middle, and in the meantime, I'm going to believe for you. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to put the results in God's hand because because everything else is above my pay grade. I'm just going to pray for people. And here's what I've learned is that the more people I pray for, the more people I see healed. Like if I pray for a hundred people and one gets healed, that's one more than if I prayed for nobody. Some of y'all, this is going to be so liberating for you when you grasp this, because you think it all depends on you. You're like, somebody, somebody texts you, hey, I'm sick right now. Can you please pray for me? You text them back, yeah, I'm praying for you right now. You know you're not. <laughs> you just text them that so that they leave you alone. If somebody in the grocery store says, oh, could, could you pray for me? You're like, absolutely, I'll pray for you over there when I get home and I remember. <laughs> How about you just stop and pray for them right there, lay a hand on their shoulder. Yeah. Listen, I, I have never had anybody turn down prayer. Go into a restaurant, sitting down with your server right before you eat dinner. You know you're going you're gonna to pray for your food. Why don't you ask your server, is there anything I can pray for you about? Great. And then actually just be like right there and be like, Lord Jesus, I come to you on behalf of my server right now. And I just ask that you be with them or with them, bless them in this situation, whatever it is. Just pray for them. Amen. Never had. I've had atheists that I'll be like, can I pray for you? They're like, yes. <laughs> Did they become Christians? No, but they became agnostics. <laughs> <laughs> One step closer. <laughs> I'm just saying, I've never had somebody turn down prayer. It's God's job to heal. It's my job to pray. Like, this, this would be so liberating for you because it, the results are not yours. That's his responsibility. Your responsibility is just to pray and leave the work up to him. Which leads to number four, the, the prayer that God uses. Like there is a certain prayer or way in which a person prays that I believe catches heaven's attention. And, and we see it here in the text. But before I, 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 say, I, got, I got two more theological words for you. Are you guys okay with that? Can I teach y'all a little Bible today? Okay, class is in session. I know y'all ain't a bunch of Dorcases, all right? <laughs> Two big words. Prescriptive hermeneutics and descriptive hermeneutics, okay? I went to Bible college, and I have $30,000 of student loans, so I could teach you those two words for free. There you go. <laughs> prescriptive, prescribe something. Hermeneutics is how we interpret the Bible. Prescriptive, prescribe something. Descriptive does what? You guys are so smart. In the Bible, there's two forms of texts. There's prescriptive and descriptive. 
prescriptive tells you what to do. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. The epistles are prescriptive texts. The gospels, acts, the Old Testament, majority of are what's called prescriptive or descriptive. It describes a story. You ever heard the saying, some things are more caught than taught? That you just learn from doing? You learn from watching somebody else do? You didn't sit in a class, but you know how to do it because you saw somebody else do it? That's how the apostles learned to pray for the sick. Jesus never taught them how to heal. They watched him heal, and then they replicated that. And what most of us do around the subject of healing and grew up in this is we, we only apply a prescriptive text to our theology of how to pray for somebody, James 5. James 5 is prescriptive. Here's what it says. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray for them, anointing them with oil so they might be healed in the name of the Lord. How many of you, you've heard that? That's your text. On, it's prescriptive. I love that. We're gonna do that in a little bit. We're gonna give you the opportunity to come down front. We wanna pray for you because we do this today. And yet, based upon my estimation, I'm open to being wrong. But in my prep this week, I only saw one prescriptive text on how to pray for the sick. But when I read the scriptures throughout the Gospels and Acts, 90 times somebody is healed. And most of the time, this is what it looks like. Peter says, Aeneas, rise up. Tabitha, rise. There's a story in Mark. Jesus goes into a synagogue. There's a man with a withered hand. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Do something you couldn't do before. Stretch out your hand. Another story is blind Bartimaeus. Jesus walks up to him and he's blind. And Jesus says, what do you want? And you know, Bartimaeus doesn't say, unspoken prayer request. <laughs> Do you see how in the West our theology of healing has been so watered down? You know what he doesn't ask for? I just need some peace right now. You know what he doesn't say? I need patience because all these people just keep walking by me and they're ignoring me and, you know, I, he, doesn't, he doesn't pray for that. What does he say? I want to see. And so many of us, when it comes to our, our prayers, we don't get honest with God about our needs. Because we don't think that he can do it or we don't want God to do it or willfully. We don't know. We don't trust him and believe big enough to actually ask for what we need. We're not honest with God when it comes to our request. And one of the reasons we have so many unanswered prayers is not because God doesn't answer prayers, but the greatest tragedy is unasked prayers. You have not because you ask not. And so if it's on your heart, then ask to God and be specific and be bold when you pray. Why? Because bold prayers get big answers. If you want to see God do something big in your life, you got to get bold. Ask God, pray to God, and be specific. Say, Aeneas, rise up. Tabitha, rise up. Ask that big prayer that's so terrifying inside of your heart because that might very well be the thing that God wants to do in your life. 
Some of us, we ask, we expect so little from God. God is not offended by your bold prayers. He's offended by anything less. Because what happens is we ask God to do things that God has already told us to do. Example, we're like, God, would you just, you know, just, just give me a job, right? Oh, God, could I just get a job? How about you go apply for a job? And you pray to God for the job you want. And you believe and you be specific. God, I'm looking for this job in this city for this reason so I can provide for my wife and my kids and I would love to be able to work nine to five so that way I don't have to miss my kids growing up and I wanna be at First Wednesday and you're praying for certain things, be specific. Say, God, my knee hurts. I'm praying for healing in this area. God, cancer, I'm praying that cancer would be God. God, I'm praying for my friend so-and-so. You know their name. Their name is written on God's heart and I'm praying for them to have a, a salvation moment with them, right? Now, whatever it is, don't just be generic and vague when it comes to your prayers. Get specific and tell God what's on your heart and believe in faith and that God can do far more abundantly than you ask, think, or even imagine. Bold prayers touch the heart of God. I see so many people, they come down front in the line the altars every single Sunday, and you have, you, you, you just, it's almost like you don't want God to answer your prayers. But you come up front and you, you pray and you spend more time telling the prayer team what's wrong than actually just believing that God can make it right. And then afterwards, here's what you do. We pray for you and you're like, thank you so much. But can I just tell you? No, you can't tell me. Do you want me to pray for you again so you get it? All right, we're going to pray for it again. Well, I know God. I know I'm going to pray for you again, right? And at some point, you just got to leave, leave it up to God. I don't know when or how. Go back to the list. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I'm going to believe that he can and will, and I'm going to ask. Right. And I'm going to agree with you in prayer because I want to see it. Which leads to the fifth and the, and the, and the final point. As we're, we're wrapping up, I know we're going to go over time. You're welcome. Could you tell the 1230 service? It was amazing. <laughs> Get their hopes up for what God's going to do next. Number five is the purpose of healing. Why, why does God heal? Go back to the question, why? why? Why does God heal? Because we live in a broken, fallen world, and he's a good and faithful God. But there's something more to it. We see it in this, in this text. We got to go back to the Bible, guys. I can't repeat this enough. Like, you got to find the answers in the scriptures and then judge the experiences by the texts. What does it say? And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas and they turned to the Lord. And the same happened with Tabitha. Look what it says. And it became known throughout all of Joppa and many believed in the Lord. What happened after the miracle? The greatest miracle. People came to know Jesus Here's what I want you to know. Some of you are like, oh, is this one of those like word of faith, miracle, supernatural, everybody's praying and speaking in tongues all the time type of church. Listen, as a church, we do not chase signs and wonders. We follow Jesus and signs and wonders follow us. We preach the message 
And we believe for miracles. Why? Because the miracle confirms the message. People who are far from God, they see Aeneas walking. Hey, weren't you, weren't you just paralyzed? Yeah, and then I met Jesus and everything in my life changed. Hey, weren't, weren't you dead and now you're alive? Yes, and I met Jesus. Let me tell you about him because the miracle confirms the message. The message that Peter preached is the same message that we preach today, that there is a God who loves. There is a God who cares. There is a God who's faithful. There is a God who answers prayers and Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved and through his sacrifice the death that we deserve has been satisfied and through his resurrection we have eternal life with him but eternal life doesn't have to start the day you die it could start right now and the way that Aeneas was paralyzed he couldn't walk it's the same way you can now walk with Jesus in your life when I see Tabitha I have to think like weren't you dead and Tabitha would say, I was dead and now I am alive. And spiritually, I am alive. And just in the way that God raised me from the dead physically, he can raise you to new life with him spiritually. This is the message that we preach. It's what we proclaim. And the miracles only serve to confirm the message. The message is confirmed by the miraculous moves of God in the church. And so you ask, has redemption seen this? I tell you, for those who call redemption home, you have seen too much to still be a skeptic. And for those of you who are new, I can just tell you, keep showing up and you're gonna see God do a miracle. Let me tell you a few stories so that way you can build your faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. So there's, there's a woman at first service. She, through a blood transfusion when she was an infant, contracted hepatitis C. There was no cure for it. As she was growing up, they have, they have one now and some medication and treatments for it. But when she was a child, they didn't. And then about the age of 16, she got prayer and healed. Went to the doctor, said, your blood work is perfect. She had been seeing the same pediatrician ever since she was born. She walked in there at 16 years old. No more hep C. A woman on our staff, Felicia, she had celiac disease for 20 years. Caused all sorts of problems in her body anytime she would eat gluten. Came down to a first Wednesday, she received prayer. And then one day she accidentally ate some gluten. She freaked out, nothing happened. And so one day at work, she had some pizza and nothing happened. And she was like, praise God for pizza. I am healed in Jesus' name. <laughs> God's healed her. She no longer has it. We just, we just, we don't have to worry. We just buy pizza and cookies and bread. And she's like the bread of life, right? <laughs> God healed her. In my own life, I'm looking across the room. I, I see people that God's, God's healed. Another woman in our church, after giving birth to her, her son, for several months, she had just bleeding. It wouldn't stop. First Wednesday, got prayer. Next day, she woke up. She was no longer bleeding. It's amazing. We have a, we have a doctor in our church of her infectious medicine. He, he's a doctor, right? Common grace. He's a doctor. He works at both Baptist and St. E's here right now. 
and when he first finished medical school, infectious disease, one of his first jobs was, was, can, was uh, AIDS patients in the 80s. And one of his first patients was days away from death. And he's a doctor and he tried everything and he laid hands on her and said, God, heal her. I can't lose my first patient in my new career. Two days later, that woman walked out of the hospital healed. My own life, me and Ashley for six years in fertility, we tried and we tried and we tried. 30 years old, we got married at 22, 30 years old, we didn't have kids. And one time at a pastor's conference, Ashley went up and through a prophetic word in the laying out of hands by a group of women, that was in October of 2015, in February of 2016, we conceived our first, and now we have two beautiful girls. God opened the womb. God heals. I'm telling you this because I want to build your faith because I'm going to ask you to pray in a sec. There's one more story, and it's JC and Dustin Selman. JC's our next gen director. Uh, Dustin works in our production. She oversees infants all the way up to youth. Can we just give it up for our next gen department? <laughs> what God's done through that. So I'll throw a picture up on the screen. You, you see Gus, you've probably seen him running around. He's at all four services every Sunday. That's their son, Gus. But what many of you don't know, especially if you're new, is that um, they actually have, they had another, they had a daughter. Her name was Emmy. And Emmy was born with a genetic condition where her brain didn't develop in, in the womb. And they went to the doctor and the doctor said, you should abort because the, the baby's not gonna be born. It's gonna cause so many health complications and you should terminate because there's no way that this baby's gonna survive the full pregnancy. And they said, no, because my baby is fearfully and wonderfully made. Knit together in my womb, like the Bible says, we're gonna believe for a miracle. And for nine months, every first Wednesday and every Sunday at all four services, they were in these altars and we we're praying and we we're praying and we we're praying and praying and praying. And then Emmy was born and she lived seven days. There's a picture of them. Look how, look at the joy her life brought to her baby brother. It's a miracle. Doctor said she would never leave the hospital, let alone be born alive. And they got to take Emmy home with them for seven days. They got to hold their baby girl. It's a miracle. But the second miracle is that we watched them walk through the journey of faith. And it did something in our church. It did something in my life to see their faith. It built my faith. And it taught us as a church to pray and let God worry. Can I just tell you, pray and let God worry? We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, but she still died. Death is gain. Because now Emmy is in heaven in the arms of Jesus, totally healed. She's already experiencing the not yet. She got her healing. It just wasn't in this life. It was in the next. But that's not the, the end of the story. There's three miracles God did in, in Emmy's life. 
because it's what happens after the miracle that confirms the message because after Emmy died, both JC and, and Dustin, both of their parents were not involved in church. The brothers and sisters were not in church. And watching them walk through the journey of the pain and the loss, God used that evil to bring about good. And today their entire families have all been baptized here at Redemption after Emmy's death. Look at this, that's JC baptizing her mom. Why? Because the miracle confirms the message that we serve a God who loves. We serve a God who cares. We serve a God who is mighty and who is powerful, who is good and he is great. We serve a God who heals in Jesus' name. Can I get a witness? The miracles confirm the message. Now here's what I want you to do. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so if you're here today and you need a miracle in your life, I'm gonna ask you to do what Aeneas and Tabitha did. I'm gonna ask you to stand up right now. Stand up if you need a touch in your body, if you need a touch in your mind, heart, soul, inner healing, physical healing. If you have the faith right now and the boldness to say, God, I am hurting, I am sick, I am suffering. Thank you, right there. Chronic illness, cancer, pain, knee pain right now, uh, type one diabetes, whatever it may be. If you are suffering, don't suffer here alone after hearing a message on healing and walk out the door without receiving it. If you're here today and you're like, that's me, I am in pain, I am sick, I am suffering, right now. I say to you, Tabitha Rise, stand up right now. Come on, we got some right here. There we go. Look around the room. Look around the room. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. I don't know when God heals. I know that he will. And the question is, is healing available today? And theologically, we know that it is yes. So I want to pray for you. And so if you are here in the room and you have faith and believe that God can and does heal, look around, you see our brothers and sisters standing right now. I'm gonna ask you if you believe that God can heal to stand right now. If you believe that God can, stand. If you don't believe, just watch, just, just hang out. Now do me a favor and put your hand on the, the shoulder and lay hands on the person next to you who is suffering. Nobody should, be, nobody should not have somebody touching their shoulder right now. Thank you. Does anybody in here need prayer? Anybody raise your hand? Anybody else? Okay, everybody's they got a hand on their shoulder. Jesus Christ heals you. I don't know the situation, but God, you do. Whether it's cancer, knee pain, type one diabetes, brain leaks, God, whatever it may be right now, assist in the brain. I pray in Jesus Christ's name, be healed. In the name of Jesus, we believe that it is possible. And God, we just pray that you will. And we claim this and pray this and believe this in the strong name of Jesus. All God's people said, can we give God glory and praise in Jesus' name? Let's pray. God. He is a miracle working God. He is a healing God. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus